You are a burned out one hit wonder who was who just kicked heroin a month ago. You don't get to decide that we're gonna murder somebody. Welcome to the podcast, brother. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast, brother. <laughs> Today we are discussing Lost, season one, episode fifteen, Homecoming. This was written by Damon Lindelof and directed by Kevin Hooks. I <laughs> like this episode. It's quaint. I think it's a neat idea. <laughs> and that is damning I, faint praise. I well, I think that's the thing is there's not a ton I want to say about it other than it was I enjoyed myself. So my opinion is the same as it was when I texted you, which is <laughs> there is nothing explicitly wrong with this episode, but one thing happens. It's it was forty minutes of build up to Charlie shooting Ethan in the chest. Mm-hmm. And that's that's it. And I um I don't like the flashbacks. I always have trouble with, with the episodes where the flashbacks don't tell me more than I already knew. Like, do you need a whole series of scenes to tell me that Charlie feels inadequate and that he has something to prove? No. I agree with that. <laughs> Is it worth it to build up to the scene where he throws up at a copier? Maybe. <laughs> I do enjoy that scene. So the idea behind this episode that I like is we see a character whose story we understand from their last flashback at a different point in their life, dealing with a different person or people in their life. I think it would be easy to look at Charlie and Liam's relationship as being the only relationship that mattered. And this one shows us that Charlie lived a little beyond the band. And I like that. Can I share something with you? <laughs> yeah. So this is from a Q&A with Damon Lindelof. I saw he wrote this one. That um, is from, I believe, USA Today. And somebody asked him, what is your least favorite episode of Lost? He responds, oh my God, pause. I think my least favorite episode is this episode that we did in the first season called Homecoming. It's when Claire comes back from having been in the jungle for a couple days after she was abducted by the others and Ethan comes after her. The backstory is Charlie trying to go straight and he's selling copiers. At the end of the episode, he shoots Ethan. I wrote that episode and it's my least favorite episode of the show ever. And the interviewer said, I'm surprised by that answer. It's not an episode fans usually name as their least favorite. And then he responds, the episode fans bring up most often is Stranger in a Strange Land. And parenthetical here, uh, this is me saying, I was under the impression that both Carlton Cuse and Damon Lindelof said Stranger in a Strange Land was their least favorite episode. So this is news to me. Back to his response. Basically, I feel like it's unfair to bag on that episode, Stranger in a Strange Land. Am I a huge fan of it? No. But at the same time, there were so many different circumstances that led to that episode that needed to be written and so many ideas that didn't work. The fact that it all coalesced, dot, dot, dot. There was a bad casting decision made. There was a bad premise decision made. There was a bad flashback story. Just everything that could go wrong did. But I don't think it was because the script was terrible. Homecoming, I think, was flawed on almost every single level that an episode of Lost could be. Wow. And it looks like there's no follow-up to to that. I, I really am curious what he thought made the episode so bad. I think you hit the nail on the head 
in that it doesn't provide us any new information. It's like it's polishing something that's already shiny. <laughs> I don't know. Because mm-hmm. um, again, for me, the episode I always go back to is Locke on a weed farm. Uh, which is just uh, which I forget about every time you bring it up. <laughs> um, and I think it's a bummer that Charlie. I believe we are now fifty percent through his flashbacks. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, is that right? I believe he gets one in season two, and it's barely a flashback because it's mostly a hallucination. And then he has greatest hits, which is great. Huh? I think. Because I remember tallying these at one point. Well, there's the terrible, I think it's, is it Fire Plus Water? That episode? I don't want to watch that. Yeah, that, uh, I know, doesn't that one end with like Locke punching him out on the beach or something? Yeah, and for decent reason, as he's trying to baptize or maybe drown an infant. And doesn't it like, they leave it ambiguous for the rest of the show as to whether or not he's using heroin again or not? Because he I finds, never... yeah, he finds the little um, uh, Virgin Mary statues that all have heroin in them, and he starts yeah. collecting them. And then someone says, oh, "Charlie, you're using again." He said, "No, I just wanted to collect them to feel better about myself or something." And it's left very ambiguous as to whether or not he's doing heroin again. Yeah, I mean, I always thought of it as more of a comfort thing, but that's probably naive on my part. <laughs> well, I, but see, that's the thing; it doesn't. Um, Maybe that is. That's what he says. You know? Yeah. I Okay, I'm already getting ahead of myself. What <laughs> I liked about it was it added a little bit of flavor to Drive Shaft because it wasn't clear how long the band had been <laughs> broken up. And I know that the first time I watched this episode, I thought Charlie telling the dad there's been issues with royalties mm-hmm. was his way of se- if secretly saying to the dad drugs (laughs) Um, which i guess it could mean both but that also makes a bit more sense in terms of him being a burnout and i liked the idea that it showed the side of addiction where people can appear high functioning and they may even try to get clean but it is very difficult and I felt it was similar to the religious aspect that we talked about in The Moth, where we we talked about how he is a religious guy, so much so that he considers giving up Driveshaft. And I think that's more of the core of Charlie. It doesn't give necessarily new information, but I liked that he's given a very clear target, a very clear goal. And it's that force behind it that he feels like I want to do good. Mm. I I can I can make I can make this work. And I think the thing I like that nudges it above some of the worst episodes that I've seen so far, because I I definitely disagree. I don't think this is worse than basically. There's been episodes that are definitely worse than this. If anything, it is simply more of a letdown because I think that Charlie's a character who I would have liked to have seen his relationship with maybe their uh, manager, uh, maybe his relationship with his father or his mom or uh, the band mates. 
Yeah, just like last one, we don't know who we have. We have never seen the other members of Drive Shaft. We only have seen Liam. Yeah, and so it it feels a little like a missed opportunity. But I I did enjoy that he the the the, the overarching message I took from this was when Charlie does what he's told it's easy because this whole episode seems to be about ignorance or perceived ignorance is bliss they they make this parallel with Jin and how charlie's like oh it must be so great that you don't have any idea what's going on <laughs> and then you get that parallel with claire who because she has amnesia which i'm sure we'll get to um he's like oh it must be so great i'll keep her in the dark because it must be so great to not know what's going on and when he is being charming, because ultimately he's going to be a, what is that called? A gigolo? Is that not, whatever, whatever he's doing, midnight cowboying. Scamming <laughs> uh, her. He's scamming, scamming her. Scamming is the word. There we go. Uh, he, you know, she can live in ignorant bliss because as the guy later says, yeah, she's going to be like, hey, I scored with a rock god. And why would that guy who's well off steal something of mine? That would never happen. So ignorance is bliss. And it's only once he takes control over his destiny and, you know, instead of letting people live in ignorance, he starts revealing the truth of, yeah, I think drive shaft is done and I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. And the guy's like, just do what you're told, steal the thing. And he's like, well, I got to think about my future. I mean, I haven't given up. This isn't the end of my rainbow. And even the call out to Liam having a daughter, there's probably a million other ways to have done it. But I think his attachment to Claire is the opposite of cowardice. Instead of, you know, running away from responsibility, he's voluntarily being like, I'm going to take on the most responsibility you could possibly take uh, with little to no reciprocation which is taking care of a child <laughs> and um <laughs> i i think that's an interesting story arc it falls apart a little bit at the end when he shoots a guy dead and claire says i want to trust you <laughs> you shot the bad man it's it's quaint <laughs> i'm i wish it was better i don't hate it on a scale this one probably gets a C minus from me. Uh, Pierce, what did you think of this episode? <laughs> For the record, I don't hate this episode. I just think it is lackluster and only one thing happened. Nothing in it is bad, is is the thing. It's weird that it's like there's nothing in this episode that I would point to and say these things are why the episode doesn't work. It's not that the episode doesn't work. I think it works. But it's only telling us one thing. We we get like a little bit of stuff here and there. We get a little bit of character stuff, but not even really. Like there have been other episodes where I, overall I don't like the episode, but there's like fun little character moments. <laughs> I mean, one thing it does answer is Drive Shaft a one hit wonder. And yes, definitively yes. yes. They yeah. <laughs> I guess they had like one album. I I don't know. I mean, I guess there was there was like they they basically you could put that together. But I I was curious if they'd put out multiple albums or if you know you all everybody was just there like their huge monster hit and like they had some other singles along the lines 
But um, no, it seems to be that Driveshaft really had one album, one huge single that was everywhere, and then they burned out very, very quickly. I think when I was younger and less knowledgeable about the world, I thought that it was an unconvincing turn that Charlie would go from being a quote-unquote rock god to trying to seduce wealthy young women and stealing their family heirlooms or Winston Churchill's family heirlooms. Winston Churchill. (laughs) (laughs) But having lived a little bit more and having met other kinds of people and having seen however many VH1 behind the music uh, specials there are, it's not that crazy to say this one hit wonder burned through all their money buying smack and were reduced to running con jobs in somewhere in the UK. Unfortunately, I, I buy that. I don't, uh, I don't like it. I feel like it's a very small story, but you know, I'm, I'm also always arguing that I would rather have small intimate character moments than big bombastic action sequences. So then this, and this episode has both. I just, th- this episode doesn't have the juice. Yeah, I think they recognize that Dominic Monaghan can be comedic. <laughs> and they wanted to lean into that. But the problem with how charming he comes across <laughs> is it doesn't do anything. <laughs> because Here's- I like his jokes. I think it, like, you mentioned Winston Churchill. I like that he's like, Winston Churchill? No thanks. I think he's a little moldy. (laughs) I I think that's adorable. Yeah, no matter how pathetic Charlie becomes, he has such a charming way about him. He has so much charisma, and he's he's always trying to turn things... He's funny. He has jokes. And especially as the series goes on, like, Saeed's not making jokes. Jack's not making jokes. Locke's not making jokes. Like, all these are very dour people. And, you know, Charlie may be a self-professed coward, but at least... You know, when you're with him, he feels like your buddy. You know, it's so even when he's doing bad things, <laughs> you don't hate him. At least not yet until we get to Fire Plus Water. Um, so I know we rag on House of the Rising Sun all the time, and I'm not going to stop doing that. But <laughs> what we have talked about time and time again is that one of the main failings, if not the major failing of House of the Rising Sun, is that none of the flashbacks prepare us for the big twist slash reveal of the episode which is that sun can speak english that comes out of nowhere and it is not supported by any of the flashbacks that we see we get we can infer why she might have learned english to get away from her husband but there really is nothing prior to the moment that she talks to michael that puts those puzzle pieces together and the reason this episode is better than that is because All of the flashbacks lead up to the moment when Lucy tells Charlie, you will never take care of anyone. But the problem with that is that's all that it's leading up to is giving us like three or four flashbacks to just say Charlie wants to take care of Claire and metaphorically take care of Ethan. And I don't put it past Damon Lindelof to have phrased it that way to be like, yeah, well, yeah, obviously he's taking care of Claire. But you know what you can also take care of? in like the mafia way, take care of (laughs) Ethan. And that's why I say the episode really just does one thing. And the one thing is Charlie guns down Ethan. And you can tell it's a decision they kind of regret because Ethan shows up in so many flashbacks later on to the point where you're like, 
I think the show really wishes they hadn't killed this guy off. <laughs> I that's this is the elephant in the room that I would love to address before we or we should probably do an intro. Before oh, we do anything. Well, oh, yeah, we I, should. We really just got into this one. I would say it's definitely an outlier to what we've seen. And I don't think it's in a bad way. But yeah, we got to talk about Ethan. Because, <laughs> oh my God. If ever you, I don't know why people stretch to say that this show was planned. Because all you need to do is look at Ethan and say, <laughs> obviously there was no plan. <laughs> what makes you say that? I None of it None of it makes sense with what we find out about Ethan later. It reminds me of how committed to memory have you committed <laughs> Team Four Stars, the world's strongest? Uh, I've seen it a few times. Okay. When they paint this picture of the doctor. Oh, yeah. And he was made for hugs. He, it's, yes. You know exactly where I'm going with this. Yeah. That to me is Ethan. Uh, every subsequent episode from here on out is, oh, he was our doctor. He was made for hugs. And the yeah. we get in this episode not just seems animalistic. That on its own, you could chalk up to, oh, it's the character's perspective. No, no, because then we get Locke, Saeed, and Jack all verifying that Scott has his neck broken, both arms broken, every single finger. Yeah, what the fuck? I, 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 was, I was taking notes about something else, and then they mentioned that line. And I was like, wait a second, what? And I rewound it, and I was like, what the? And it is, is so brutal. It is absolutely savage so that when someone tries to make the argument or shows a flashback of Ethan Rob going, hi, fellas. Oh, you want me to go to that side of the island? Okay. It's like, what What happened to you? Yeah. When did the sickness take hold? Yeah. He, you became... I had forgotten. Yeah, he does really come off as Mr. Rogers in the flashbacks. And at first, when they start doing those flashbacks, it's 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 a nice little subversion. It's like, oh, this guy isn't who you thought he was. But then every time they sh they flash back to him and he's this just nice guy, it's like, well, hold on a second. When you introduce this villain, he is the Terminator. He is stronger than everyone else. He's faster than everyone else. He can apparently swim around the island, come out onto the beach, just demolish this pedestrian, and then swim back out. Yeah. <laughs> It's, there's a there's a difference between subverting your expectations and just completely retconning who this character is, and you never they never explain where that dichotomy is. You're you're absolutely right. I do one thousand percent agree with Charlie's actions, or at the very least his justification that he was never going to tell them anything because I believe. I think it's the wrong decision, but I do get why he did it but i i would if i was jack i would be so pissed at charlie's like you don't get to make that call charlie you don't get to say like oh he wouldn't have said anything He's like you don't know dick you know what uh, this is what i would say to to jackie boy who was super level-headed saying i'm not gonna put guns into untrained hands and yet jack is going with people who have all fired guns before and sure enough jack's the guy that loses his gun Allowing Charlie to pick it up 
It's all Jack's fault. It is all Jack's fault. Jack has no idea about anything to do with guns. And I get Jack's the leader. They're Jack's guns, I guess. But for him to, number one, not include Charlie, and then number two, give a gun to Sawyer instead of Kate, I think it's implied Jack doesn't want Kate to get hurt because he loves her and she's his nuffle bunny. I get it. But you know Kate knows how to handle a gun. And the fact that Sawyer is the one to hand her a gun, that puts Sawyer so high up on the the love triangle scale. Like I don't it's just it's it's such a it's such the it's a bad call by Jack. It's a it's a very bad call. You're right, it is his fault. He's he's he does wrong here. I do I I love that sequence so much. <laughs> Cuz it also Jack's just so petty because Sawyer, rightly so, boasts, I know a polar bear that seems to think I can handle a gun. And then when this whole exchange happens, Sawyer mentions, well, I have this extra one from the marshal, if, if you remember him. And Jack's like, yeah, I do. You shot him and you missed. <laughs> Jack, I get what you're doing. I get you're upset, but you literally just handed him a gun. Right, like, right. <laughs> he fired at the marshal point blank and still didn't kill him and he's the one that you give a gun to kate standing right there what is wrong with you the reason an episode like the previous one special works is because special is a story about something it is a story about a father feeling shut out of his son's life and feeling inadequate and trying to get back in and then being thrown back in and trying to do the best that he can. And this episode didn't feel so much like a story as some things that happened. Charlie yeah. conned this lady once. Charlie feels protective of Claire. People get guns. Charlie shoots Ethan. Like, what's the what's the story for this episode, you know? Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's run through the recap, and we'll All right. we'll, we'll wrap this up. We'll try to get, try to, try to get through this. We start with Charlie waking up in the caves. Um, we hear people yelling. Locke brings Claire to Jack. She wakes up with a scream and doesn't recognize anyone. She has amnesia. The last, <laughs> the last thing she remembers is being on the plane. Convenient. Jack says they've been on the island for nearly a month. And we get a rare instance of Jin and Sun being subtitled. Yeah. Jin, yeah. Jin asks about Claire and the baby. And gives a meaningful look to Sun. Is Sun pregnant? Boone says Claire was gone for almost two weeks, which is longer than I thought. Charlie tells Claire that Ethan is the bad guy. And I put in parentheses here, Lindelof. Because it feels very much like a, it's like Charlie is explicitly saying, he's the bad guy. Will this be subverted later? Maybe. Remember, but remember that I said that. He is going to savagely murder Scott. <laughs> Claire asks if she and Charlie are friends. We get our first flashback. Charlie is not snorting coke. Uh, he is snorting heroin. I wrote down, I don't know if they're doing coke or heroin because I don't know how drugs work. But later on, his friend Tommy says that he's been, been using his skag. And skag is a nickname for heroin. Anyway, and we set up that he's going to pretend to like this lady in order to get money from her. <laughs> to, to, he is he is pretending to be interested in her so that he can steal something valuable from her home, which seems, again, I am not going to poke holes in the plan of 
opiate addicts. I get it. It's a it's a horrible thing. These guys are ridiculous, though. Anyway, <laughs> I do. I forget if it's this flashback or the next one where Charlie's says to the guy, "How do you get all this information?" <laughs> yeah, and, and I I I don't remember now, but I think the guy just kind of blows him off. Oh like, yeah, no, it's never. Uh, yeah. One thing I want to mention because we actually just blew past it. This episode, uh, some good luck. Bef- right before this <laughs> flashback, Boone he has this line where he says. We were out there pretty deep. Nothing's out there. Mm-hmm. And it cuts to Locke. And he just looks at him and he gives him this smile. And it's like, oh, God, you love this. <laughs> you love the mystery. It's just so he's so in his element. Yeah. And certainly even as he develops his own plan of attack, that is most apparent. Yeah. Uh, he has another little smile when he gets the gun from Jack, which uh, is also just great. <laughs> now yes. I have a gun. I wrote that down as well. Back on the island, Saeed floats the idea that Ethan, being intelligent, sent Claire back for some purpose. That's a good point. He asks Jack how many times selective amnesia actually occurs among patients. And Jack <laughs> Jack admits that it's rare, but Claire's been through a major trauma. I feel like we've had like a lot of episodes of Jack being cool and friendly. And this episode of Jack just comes off as very dumb and not a good leader. And he's just like, well... Yeah, I mean, technically you're correct, Saeed, but what if she has it anyway? I I like, though, that they are deliberately trying to tell the audience, hey, I know this sounds like a soap opera, <laughs> but here's why it's different. The only other note I have for this scene is Charlie Mad. Oh, okay, no, yeah. I I do think this scene is some neat foreshadowing for... Everything that they talk about gets recycled for, for Michael. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about that. Yeah. It, uh, yeah. Yes. You are right. <laughs> we get what I believe is the first scene between Charlie and Jin. I, I can't recall any time that they've shared the screen together and they've actually had like dialogue together. And this scene is just cute because um, if I'm not mistaken, he says Anyan or something. Like people around the caves are learning some Korean or something. Yeah, I um, because they were saying Anyang is is the word for the caves, right? I think so. Yeah, which I'm confused uh, by because I've seen Arrested Development so much that I I thought that Anyang actually meant hello, but I I don't want to base what I know about uh, Korean on Arrested Development. Well, no, but I mean that might be right too because I yeah that I mean frankly that probably that makes more sense. <laughs> then i mean because then that that would be less hey share your culture and that could easily just be charlie in the same way that i know konichiwa without ever having taken a lesson in japan maybe charlie's just yeah well it's still it, you know what he's making an effort charlie rambles for quite a long time about how nice it must be not to be involved in island politics and we hear a whooshing sound and Jin is knocked out by a slingshot and yeah, can we just talk about god I- Here's here's what upsets me about this is that I assumed that Jin got hit in the head. Yes. By this slingshot. And later he has his shirt off in the caves and Sun is rubbing his chest. Uh-huh. Why? Because apparently if you get hit in the chest, it makes you pass out. 
there, there is later an almost identical thing of Shannon uh, rubbing Saeed's arm at the end of the episode. And I'm like, yeah. what is happening? Who's getting... What? Is this just a general... This is what women do in the caves, is they just gently daub at... at 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 minor wounds on the men's torsos. I don't. Oh, Saeed, I you must have scratched your arm when you were up in that tree and climbed that's, down. That's the thing. So I was like, did I miss something? Did he get hit by Ethan? He's like, no, he just got. He just like had to scramble down the tree real quick, and he got his scrape. I do think it's cute that him and Shannon are together. I'm still I'm still shipping those two, so I don't. It's fine, but <laughs> it is weird that it happens. Like it's the exact same thing happens to two different couples. <laughs> Ethan approaches with the sling. How traumatizing must it be to be approached by someone who tried to kill you and very nearly did it? Uh, Charlie handles it very well. He immediately tries to attack Ethan, but it goes so poorly. Ethan, in full Terminator mode, just picks up Charlie and just holds him against the tree in a chokehold. And he threatens to kill one of the socks for every day that he doesn't get Claire back. He's a psychopath. This is not good bedside manner. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what kind of doctor this is. Yeah. And, you know, they make him doubly menacing because I do remember, we learn this later, but when Claire escapes him, she scratches his face. Mm-hmm. But, like, those are the little details that I do enjoy. I yeah, think we see those that, scratches on his face, but we don't know in this episode why he has them. Yeah, and I, I think that that's the type of stuff that is uh, well done. Because mm-hmm. that's, a, that's a detail. Ethan having scratches on his face shows that... Claire escaped and she scratched it. You could probably surmise that even if they never told us it or showed us it later, but it doesn't feel like something they retcon to fit the narrative. It feels like they clearly knew this girl escaped. She, and this is a defensive wound. Mm -hmm. Um, Charlie immediately runs to tell Locke and Jack. Uh, He and Jack want to go into the woods and hunt down Ethan. And Locke brings up all of the good questions. He says, what if Ethan's not alone? What if he wants the survivors to gather in one place so they so Ethan and his buddies can just slaughter them? And Jack asks to hear Locke's plan, but he says it in kind of a shitty way. He's like, well, well, Johnny, you clearly already have a plan. Let's hear it. Like, Jack, your plans are not working, so listen to the man who actually goes into the jungle on a regular basis. Uh, we just talked about this, and the cave son is washing a shirtless gin, and... Did you catch, though, that Jin <laughs> refers to the Losties as the others? <laughs> I mean, he makes he brings up the point that, you know, they're constantly getting into trouble and it's he got hurt because of their issues, which I think is a little unfair of Jin. But he's frustrated. I get it. He doesn't speak the language. Yeah. This episode almost feels like he has a sense that Sun understands what's going on better than he does but i it doesn't really do anything with it because like when yeah. he's like talking about claire's like it's like what do you what do you think they're saying and she's like i think everything's fine they're talking about this thing and he just looks at her like yeah what else do you think but uh <laughs> yeah it's like they're playing with the idea that maybe he suspects his yeah. wife is being unfaithful but as we discover no, Jin is a great guy and is nothing but dutiful and loving and trusting. We don't and, know that yet. No, I know. <laughs> uh, Claire says no one will talk to her. Uh, we get our next flashback. Uh, Charlie comes back from a date with Lucy and starts scoping out her place for valuables. Um, in the caves, Kate tells Jack it might be time to bust out the guns. Whoa, whoa, whoa. 
Okay. <laughs> we could talk about that flashback. Is this a UK thing that after the first date, they proposition someone to meet a member of their family? That does seem a bit fast. That does, um, yeah. Okay. Jack makes the astute point to Kate that they have a much higher likelihood of shooting each other than Ethan. And we see Locke and Saeed putting together some snare traps. Uh, Saeed seems skeptical of Boone being on sentry duty. Saeed does not think much of Boone. Charlie tells Jack that he feels responsible for Claire being taken. And Jack tells him that nothing will happen to her. Our next flashback is Okay, Charlie. pause. Because <laughs> I was like, that's... It feels like this line was written for you. <laughs> I, Charlie, as he is trying to get Jack on board with Charlie's plan, mm-hmm. he says, maybe we could move her uh, to the mountain. There could be another cave. <laughs> this, this felt like he's, he's in the same boat of, you love caves? There's a, there could be a cave. You could, we could all go to the cave. I, I was laughing so hard at that that I didn't even write it down. I... Uh, <laughs> Come on, Jack. Come on. Caves? Cave? You love caves. (laughs) Jack's like, come on. Don't don't get me all hot and bothered thinking about caves. I'm trying to put together a plan here. Don't distract me, Charlie. Did you see the cave? Where is it? Yeah, Charlie wanted to go into the mountain. (laughs) Oh, Charlie. In the flashback, Charlie's having dinner with Lucy and her father. And so Lucy's father, Frank, is played by an actor named Jim Piddock who I thought I recognized from something, but honestly, I looked up his IMDb, and he's just one of those actors who's in everything. Like, he just shows up everywhere. And so (laughs) there is not one thing I could point to to be like, oh, yeah, this is what I remember him from. It's like, no, he's just all over the place. Yeah, I didn't look up his IMDb page, but I saw him and thought, you are distractingly famous. Mm-hmm. I wish I could place you. <laughs> yeah, he was a big theater actor, and then he started showing up in movies. And he's usually just, he's, he'll be in like a scene, but he's in so many scenes, in so many things. Charlie tells, uh, Charlie confesses rather, that it's been a year since the band was together, and there's been an issue with royalties, and, you know, that happens. I, uh, I, I believe him on that. I think that it's... Uh, he, I mean, obviously he did burn through all of his money on drugs, but stuff like that definitely happens all the time. So he takes a job selling copiers and his friend Tommy says he's been letting Charlie get off on his skag on spec, then proceeds to spell out their entire scheme as if it was not already very clear to us. And uh, then he asks how he's going to handle his job on Monday without a fix. I liked all of this except for that whole exposition part where it's like in case... Like, Lost usually doesn't do this, at least it hasn't done it up to this point, where it's like, I'm going to restate everything that we already said in that last flashback in case it wasn't already abundantly clear, which it is. Yeah. You're also making me realize with how you're describing this, how it almost seems like this could have been rewritten slightly to be Sawyer's origin story. <laughs> so it's, you know, in, in Sawyer's case, he was devoted to finding someone. But then as we found out when he was like 19 or something, he, he owes a bunch of money and winds up hustling a lady. But we also know that Sawyer is a con man, so it, it works. And Charlie Charlie is not. And yeah, maybe that's even something that would have been better is if 
there was a storyline between Charlie and Sawyer. <laughs> it's like, here's how a con man did it. And now here's how someone who's not a con man does it. You know, so maybe that's the kind of juxtaposition it needed. Anyway, just a, just a thought as you were mentioning this. Uh, <laughs> Back on the island, our heroes are keeping watch. But Boone is tired and he goes to sleep. And then in the morning, the trap triggers and he runs into the jungle and it's Vincent. And at first I thought Ethan had sent Vincent out to trigger the trap, but he was in the ocean. So Vincent was just coming back to say hi. Someone screams and we find out that, and I've just written uh, just in big letters in my notes here, WTF, we find out that Ethan has broke Scott's neck, his arms, and all the bones in his fingers. I mean, uh, re- okay, zooming out, is this their way of trying to say that they have a bulldozer or like one of those? Like, what what is this supposed to illustrate? Just like that he had the time to do this? Or maybe there was multiple people? Or he is just a savage fucking monster? That It's that. That's what it is. It's not only did he kill one of the losties, he broke him into pieces. Like it was not a it was not a quick death because he must have snapped his neck last. Actually, I mean, maybe not. It's even more psychotic to break his neck and then proceed to continue breaking parts of his body while there are people watching. Here's a here's a sort of related note though. I remember the Scott and Steve bit going way longer into the series. I I I didn't realize that them confusing Scott for Steve only happens for the first 14 episodes. Like, I thought that was like a, there was a whole thing that went on for like seasons and seasons. Yeah. And I don't know if they continue to mistake the two. Like if Scott's still around and they keep calling him Steve, but they're like, no, no, that's, that's Scott. But no, I Scott's will say, Oh, Scott, you know, actually I did read <laughs> something at one point that yes, technically the character Scott died, but that they forgot which actor was Scott and which one was Steve. <laughs> and of course, the lost fandom, you know, said, no, that's Steve. That is actually Steve. <laughs> the actor explains. Um, I don't know if that's true. Also, um, this is another sort of cinematography thing that I do like. And I think partially because certainly last night as I was watching this and going into 3 a.m., 4 a.m. kind of thing. Boone sitting there, slowly falling asleep in the dark, fire flickering, you know, slow eye, eye droop, and then hear the collapse, and it's daylight. And, like, I I know that it's not the only show to have done this, but I love that. I thought <laughs> that kind of, for anyone who's passed out and woken up and been like, what, what, where am I? Yeah. <laughs> really expertly captured. And I also appreciate that Boone... Despite being infinitely less fun now that he's Locke Jr., you know, immediately stands up and is like, I'm going to I'm going to find whatever that thing was. But he still messes it up. And he messes. Uh, they have a funeral for Scott. Uh, we find out he, he had won a two week vacation as a sales prize. Didn't didn't the lady who drowned wasn't didn't she also win like some kind of vacation? And that's why she was there. Am I misremembering that? I don't remember. Yeah, I I, sh- I should have looked that up beforehand. Anyway. Um, so anyway, now everyone's terrified and mad at Claire, which, yeah, all right. And, of course, Shannon is the one to tell her what's going on because she loves Sharon hot goss. And Claire confronts Charlie. We get a flashback of Charlie's first day at work. He's strung out. He nicks Winston Churchill's cigarette case. 
Lucy gives him a briefcase and a ride to his job. That's, I, um, That's the flashback. I wanted to add credence to, yet again, the idea of purgatory, which, one, led me to a fun what-if fan theory mm-hmm. that obviously doesn't happen. <laughs> but also, just again, adding credence to the purgatory idea. As Claire is walking to the caves and, I guess, makes a poignant comment about how Shannon is staring I don't know the purpose of that scene. We'll move on. <laughs> she passes by two of the socks who appear to be a couple. I didn't see if they're wearing rings, but they're holding each other in a way that implies intimacy. And it is only in that moment that I realized no one on the plane lost something from the plane or lost someone from the plane. Obviously, caveat this with Rose and Bernard, who are, yes, separated. But, yeah, are all of our characters who have a familial bond all together? It's not as though any of them are dying or are trapped under some shrapnel or something. Jin and Son, married, still there. Walt, Michael, even the dog, all together. Uh, Boone and Shannon, together. Rose and Bernard, technically together, but, you know, it's TBD. I, I mean, that's an interesting idea, and it would, it would, it would make sense because— People who are flying together typically are seated together. But we don't know that for sure. We don't know how many people were possibly separated when the tail section ripped off because we don't hear about their stories. No, and I I mean, I get that. I I just I think what made it interesting as far as if the show was purgatory goes, it builds on that theory because instead of having a character that is grieving because, oh, such and such is gone. They died. Or blah, blah, blah. All of our main cast came together, are together. And again, I know it's because those are the characters we're looking at. But I, I think that that's, I think it's interesting that we don't have a character who was negatively affected by the plane crash other than <laughs> being stranded. Uh, you know, the crises that we have had come up are, uh, my my luggage is missing. Uh, you know, it's not as though Boone and Shannon, when the plane crashed, Shannon's leg was broken. And now Boone is tending to her. And, you, you know, that's look what happened because of the plane crash. Like, I, I, I don't know. I just think it la- adds credence to it being purgatory that everyone showed up together. Mm. Yeah, I'll take that. Uh, Jack asked Locke if he can track Ethan. Locke says, no way in hell am I going to do that. This guy is more than a match for us. Jack takes him to the guns. They both give very <laughs> almost comical looks around before Jack goes to, to get the briefcase. <laughs> I can also just say, this is such like a pet peeve of mine, is it, when Jack does take Locke to the guns, because it's not as though he says, follow me. It's... What, what is it? Locke says something to the effect of, don't really feel comfortable going out there. We're underprepared. And Jack's like, well, what if we weren't underprepared? And Locke's like, do you have a plan? Jack says nothing, just plays with the uh, key on his neck and walks and we just cut to... It's, and I, I'm just like, how hard would it have been to be like, I may have an idea or I got something. Like, <laughs> I, you know, something that indicates, yeah, there, I got something instead of because I don't know if someone yeah, if it was real life, you would just want to be looking at their back and being like, are you going to the bathroom? What is 
do you want me to follow you? I'm very confused. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's, you know, that's... It's like, it's show. It's show business. Yeah. Claire, uh, Locke seems very pleased to get a gun, and Claire agrees to be used as bait. God, I, I love Locke with a gun. I, <laughs> I will say, I just... I, this is what, one of the things I've loved about the John Wick movies is, especially when he does this one-handed cock thing. Have mm-hmm. you, you, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I know okay. <laughs> and I remember like reading about this because I'm like, is this something that they developed for the show or, or movie or whatever? And it's like, no, no, with that specific model, you got to do that because it often gets stuck. It's like, God damn, that's awesome. Yeah, seeing Locke, just take it apart, put it back together. And then, yeah, as you said, give that smile. Ah, oh, I was like, this is oh, Locke. He's got some. He's got some great moments in this episode. <laughs> but it's funny though, is that like, you know, I don't know much about guns, but I also just would think it was funny if Locke like did all those things. Like he, you know, he he moves the barrel, or I guess it's not a barrel, uh, whatever it's called, the sh- shaft mechanism. And then he like, you know, looks down the barrel, just like, nope, I don't know how to use this, and just gives it back <laughs> to check. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, we um we get a flashback. Uh, uh, it's a horribly embarrassing scene of Charlie failing to use the copier and then vomiting into it. Do we have anything to say about this scene? No. Back on the island, uh, we've talked about this already. Uh, Jack would rather give Sawyer a gun than Charlie or Kate, and Sawyer gives Kate a gun when Jack didn't. Uh, Jack clearly doesn't want Kate to either come or have a gun, but uh, she's coming and she has a gun and we get a nice ominous shot of some clouds. Uh, always appreciate yeah. it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, followed by uh, Claire walking alone in the rain. Not really alone though, because friends are all very clearly <laughs> poking their heads out of the trees. And Ethan crawls out of a tree like a troll. <sighs> it seems like, you know, as savvy a hunter as he has been portrayed as up until this point, he just comes off as a dumb animal right here. Like, I would have expected him to, like, show up behind every single one of our heroes and just, like, knock him out. And that's when Charlie shows up because he's the only one who wasn't invited. But, um, no, we have to have our rematch with Jack, which I think was more important to Jack than keeping Claire safe, to be honest with you. Oh, oh, for sure. Uh, Jack <laughs> has that say in blood. Where, yeah. <laughs> He lost and he comes back stronger. <laughs> he got that Zenkai boot. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. It's just, Ethan, if they were going to stick with a Rousseau's team got sick, it really seems like, even just in this episode, Ethan goes from Terminator to, as you said, an animal. Just, mm-hmm. or a troll. A troll is a better way to describe it. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> he, he just comes out of that tree. <laughs> Uh, and he's a doctor and pediatrician. Yeah, damn good one. Doesn't Juliet get real sassy with Jack or somebody who's like, we had a doctor. His name was Ethan. It's like, your doctor was a fucking psychopath. Don't get sassy with me. He <laughs> killed he killed Scott, stole Claire, and was generally unpleasant. You don't get oh, to be sassy about this. No, he was real good with Claire. He took care of her. He was, he was trying to help her. You don't understand. It's like, you don't... You, at no point, because we even, like, in the second season, we find that the others, like, take all the tail section people and just go, like, hi, we're the others. Come join us huh, here on the island. Everything's great. We're not going to go with those dirty beach people, though. Those people can kick rocks. <laughs> uh, um, God damn it. 
I also, and this is something that, you know, I don't know if it's worth complaining about, but I think the first time I saw this, I was like, Jack's a big dude. He's in shape. Sure, he can beat up Ethan. He can keep punching him until he falls down. But let's think about this. Jack is a spinal surgeon, which means the most important thing about him are his hands. It's obviously, you know, his brain is important, His all of his years of schooling. But if you can't conduct surgery with your, a very delicate surgery with your hands, then you, you your entire career is over. So Jack would not be participating in any kind of contact sport like boxing. What we know about Jack is this makes sense that Jack would want to beat up Ethan. But in a in a very real sense, Jack should not be using his hands for anything remotely close to punching somebody repeatedly in the ha- in the head and 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 body. Like it's like Jack, you don't know how to fight. I don't believe I there's there we we Saeed knows how to fight. Sawyer knows how to fight because we know that he's been in like bar brawls, obviously. Yeah. I would even I would even guess that Charlie has been in a few fights because he's small and he's mouthy and you know that he's gotten his ass kicked. But Jack comes from a wealthy uh, family and has spent probably most of his young adult life in school. I don't. He's not supposed to be punching people. Yeah. No, I, I, I totally agree. You can make the argument to me that, like, Jack, with every passing episode, feels more responsible for the survivors. And Jack is such a psycho about wanting to save people and keep everybody safe that he takes everything Ethan has done very personally and wants to attack him. I get that. I just, you know, I can't help thinking. You know, uh, you're making me wonder if there could have been a scene that was cut where... Jack was skeptical of all of the prep that Saeed, Locke, Boone are doing. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they set up sentries, guards, a perimeter, and Ethan got through. I wonder if Jack is like, fucking A, Saeed, Locke, you guys let me down. And then even the exchange later of giving Sawyer the gun and the mental reminder of, oh yeah, Sawyer shot a guy and missed. <laughs> if, if this is Jack being like, uh, I I got to do it. It's it's got to be me because no one else is competent enough to. And I, and, to get and then this like done. yeah, but I would even like appreciate. I mean, I obviously we're not going to do this because Jack is our hero, and we and you know Jack. We did see Jack get the crap beaten out of him in the previous episode, but he still tried. But like. It's not just that Ethan is stronger and a better fighter. It's I would just love it if this show showed that Jack tries to fight but doesn't know how. Like if he's yeah. just flailing uselessly at Ethan. Again, we're not gonna see our lead actor look that stupid in in the show. But it would be nice. This isn't the right time for me to mention this, but I know it's something that bothers me specifically with Lost the gun usage on Lost that starts closer to the end of this season and then just becomes the norm is all characters start to just take a gun and just stick it in their butt. And I get it. There's no holsters. I understand that functionally, practically, it's probably easier to run around in a jungle instead of having it maybe like swinging around your neck. 
or wedged in your front pocket. I I understand that, but the issue for me is that the characters wind up being so rehearsed with how they do this that it takes me out of the show when it starts to happen ad nauseum because I'm just thinking, oh, right, because you guys had a gun specialist on set who said, hey, if you have a gun and you need to tuck it away, here's how you do it. And they showed them how to do the motion. And so they all were clearly trained by the same person. Mm-hmm. And everyone just sticks the gun in the back of their butt the exact same way. And obviously, I prefer that to someone getting shot on set or something. But it eliminates the individuality of different characters, especially in a case like this episode where, yeah, everyone has a different level of experience with a gun. Mm-hmm. And I, it is a little silly that you have Saeed in a tree with a 9mm. I don't know a lot about guns. But I got to imagine it's not going to be super effective or accurate to be in a tree with a pistol especially when it's raining yeah jack tackles ethan and they start wrestling in the mud jack beats him and they want to take him alive and charlie shoots him dead in the next scene jack tells charlie ethan could have told them stuff charlie says no and he didn't want ethan anywhere near claire again we have our final flashback charlie goes to lucy's house and this is actually a good scene i don't i don't love the flashback and I, I do think that it's unnecessary, but I do think both Lucy and Charlie, uh, or the actors rather, uh, have it's a very good scene between them. And she asks why he took the job, and he wanted her to think that he could take care of her. And she says, "You will never take care of anyone." Dun dun. Yeah, I, I agree. I like the scene too. I I think because I've been in that situation. <laughs> Wait, know. when did you steal Winston Churchill's cigarette case? To feed your opiate addiction. No, but you know, like that. I, I mean, I'm sure multiple people have, but I, I distinctly remember getting like a. It was either an email or a card that was like, uh, you know, very similar to the dialogue that Lucy gives. Of I know why you did this. You, you did this because of this, 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 and this. And at a certain point, you're like, the truth behind my actions would only frustrate this person more <laughs> and so the best thing to do is to say you're right what was i thinking and just let them go uh, charlie deserves to tell that person that he is a monster and she needs him to say that so that she can move on and, and you know that's the high road <laughs> and i think it's one of the things that makes me so fascinated with addicts because i still adore the aa step it's like I forget what step it is. I think it's the fourth where they have this beautifully arranged caveat where they're, they're like, make amends. And then it's like, I, I don't think these things are ever written, but in my head, I imagine this fat asterisk. And at the bottom, it says, unless it would cause more harm. Mm-hmm. And I think about that with so many things. This example being one of them, I think it is this final scene that just it it sparks the emotions. Because he's really he's really hurting and he's really because it it does seem silly on its face that because she even asked him say like, why did you take the job you could have just stolen the thing and he's really just like I it's like, I know that was crazy I just I wanted to prove I could 
take care of you and be respectable. She's like, that makes it so much worse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, because I, I think so much of it is that he saw the future and yeah, just, you can't, you can't have two mistresses in his case, the Lucy, as well as the heroine. You but you're making me realize Lucy is probably a reference to Lucy in the sky yeah. with diamonds. Yeah. You just, cause you were like, Oh, Tommy probably referenced to Tommy. It's like, mm-hmm. Oh, Oh, and Winston Churchill is a reference no. to Winston cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> when he was in a band before the no. Um, Here's my question. I should have looked this up beforehand. I, I know Winston Churchill was a cigar smoker. Did he also smoke cigarettes? I mean, he probably. I mean, everybody smoked cigarettes back then, so probably. Yeah, you know that is interesting. I that does feel like a weird thing to make up <laughs> if, if they did. I didn't think twice about it. It was like. And yeah, it's like, oh yeah, this it was passed down by Winston Churchill. It's like, oh, and I accepted it. I just, yeah, sure, why not? The UK is a small place. It's, uh, it's kind of like it's such a random thing because, like, as far as I understand, Lucy's family wasn't. I mean, all those families are related to each other on some level. But it would be like somebody you just meeting a random rich person being like, oh yeah, I've got a George Washington snuff box right here. You do? Yeah. Ow. Why? Where did you get that? That should be in a museum. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just to finish up, in the final scene, we see Shannon cleaning a wound, I guess, on Saeed's arm. And we Claire goes up to Charlie and says she remembers peanut butter, but she doesn't remember why. And she says she wants to trust Charlie. And we kind of just end on this sort of amb- ambiguous expression that he gives her. And that's it. That's the episode. 